to the Digiday podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I am senior media editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, senior reporter at Digiday. So Kaylee, this week you spoke with Aileen Drexler, Jordana Abraham, and Samantha Sage from Betches. Betches, for anyone in the audience who isn't as familiar, is a media company focused on millennials. Kaylee, there have been a number of media companies focused on millennials in the past, some that have succeeded, some that have not succeeded. What's unique about uh, Betch's approach? I mean, that's a great point. There's been a lot in the the digital media revolution. Betch's was started by these three founders when they were in college. They talk about um, wanting to build a company that really is speaking to who their audience is and the experiences that they're going through while they're going through them. So the brand for millennial women has transition through the years. Now they've opened up to different verticals. They have like parenting verticals now and and they're launching one that's focused on finances. And I guess their thing is that it's matured with um, their audience because they were also part of that audience. They have a pretty significant like social media focus, which I don't think is necessarily, you know, super unique to these types of companies, but it kind of allows them to really focus on humor and entertainment and memes. They have a big meme strategy, which um, I personally enjoy. Nice. And like with these types of companies that have focused on particular age groups, we've seen in the past, they they age up with those groups, but inevitably at some point they they realize oh our audience is getting a little older and and maybe isn't as attractive to advertisers for example now we have to go to that next generation um is this something that Betches is doing? Are they really making a really hard play for Gen Z at the moment? So I asked them about this because um, my assumption is like, you know, Gen Z is becoming a pretty significant portion of the internet audience. They still see a lot of value in the millennial viewer, the millennial reader. Uh, so they're still very much targeting that demographic. With platforms like TikTok, which we talk about quite a bit in this episode, um, they definitely want to target that Gen Zer and they want to, um, you know, be a, a channel that the, the younger audiences go to. But they also kind of waited to see what their audience of millennials was doing on platforms like that as well and kind of meeting them there in the way that they want to use TikTok. So while Gen Z is something that inevitably comes into the mix because they're such a social media focused generation, really like they're looking at the way millennials use social media and millennials use TikTok. I don't know. It's, it definitely seems like they're very focused on the millennial um, audience and we'll see if that changes in the next you know few years. But I think that they're, they're pretty gung-ho on uh, those, those millennials. As a millennial, I will take some comfort in that I am somewhat valuable still in the media industry. I'll let you take it away. Thanks, Kayla. Jordana, Sammy, Aileen, thank you so much for joining me on the Digiday podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. I'm pretty familiar with Betches. I follow you guys on social media and I've covered you a few times now, but it would be great to kind of get into, um, since I have the three founders here, it'd be great to get into your founder story and learn about, I guess, the origin of Betches and where the idea came from for your media company to begin with. Yeah. So the three of us, um, we've actually been friends since we were, um, since our childhood, since around like middle school. Um, and you know, we've always been friends. We happened to go to college together, not on purpose, honestly. Um, we all went to Cornell and we were living together our senior year. And at the time, um, frat tire and like this bro 
fratty culture was very, very popular, but we noticed that there was not really an equivalent for, for women or, you know, women who weren't necessarily, who were a little less afraid to speak their minds or be opinionated or party and that sort of thing. So, um, we were, when we started Betches, we really started as like a satirical blog to essentially write about observations of, you know, kind of the people who were around us at college. Um, and we really thought that we were just writing for sort of our like immediate inner circle. But um, it turned out that we really had like sent it, sent the blog to like one friend um, who posted it on Facebook uh, to, on her sister's wall at the time. They, you know, you could post on people's walls and that was a normal thing. Um, and from there, it just really went viral and we were able to see how many people related to it even though we didn't we didn't realize that it would be so widely relatable. Um, and that's sort of like where the DNA of the company comes from, us writing about women in ways that are humorous and snarky, but that they can also relate to and sort of, you know, laugh at themselves. But also, um, I think over the years, we've become more, you know, we've definitely become more of a resource, I think, for people. Um, so kind of combining like humor, entertainment, and, you know, helpful information. Um, but yeah, that was 10 years ago. And ever since, and I'm sure we'll talk <laughs> about this for the remainder of the podcast, we have really expanded into a number of areas. Um, from the blog, we went to Instagram, um, we went to podcasts, and now we have an audience of 43 million people. So yeah, it's very, it's very exciting. Yeah. I should have mentioned e-com. <laughs> I did not mention e-com, but I, sorry. It's hard to keep track of, you know, all the pillars. Right. Especially now when diversification of, of revenue is the, you know, ultimate goal. And there's there's a lot going on, um, which means that there's a lot for us to talk about. I do want to talk about, so your primary audience then, uh, when you first founded, was, a, I guess, like college age um, women, it sounds like. And um, since then... Um, I guess that's like a primarily millennial audience. Um, but since then, a lot of the internet's um, users, I guess, especially I think for maybe the the audience you're writing for is, I guess, in a way, become more Gen Z focused as well. Um, I'm curious, like, has your strategy for writing, um, creating content or, or creating entertainment humor content, is it still very much focused on um, millennial women? Or are you kind of looking for ways to target these Gen Zers as they come up and um, become like a, a very significant portion of the social media space. Um, I know you guys are pretty active on TikTok too, but I'm curious about like your strategy for Gen Z. Um, well, first, uh, we, we definitely still feel like there's a lot more millennial women to tap into. Um, and we feel very um, the grateful that our audience has grown up with us. So like at the time, like Sammy was saying, we were describing the lifestyle of like women at that time before they were even called millennial millennials. And we were describing like, or observing the behaviors of ourselves and, you know, laughing at ourselves and, and just those behaviors are now like what all millennial women relate to. But with growing up with our audience came so many different opportunities to expand our content. So we have gotten into career content, finance. We're, we're uh, launching a personal finance vertical um, later this year. We just launched our Betcha's Moms 
a vertical podcast, which is not something we thought we would do, let's say five years ago. Um, but with Gen Z, I think that just looking at our Instagram and looking at our, you know, with TikTok and all of our different content, I think that we're reaching Gen Z again, just with the same type of strategy in how we reach millennial women, which is speaking to them the way that they, you know, speak to each other. And that's kind of like the, the, the core in which the core strategy of how we reach our audiences. And yeah, like you said, through different platforms, but also we, we do it through our voice. Yeah. And I think another, another element of our strategy is just generally that we want to start bringing more creators under our umbrella um, and under the batches folds. And we definitely are going to be and are in the process of cultivating a range of talent, both from Gen Z and millennial demos. So it's really like, what is the, you know, sort of batches take, like, what is the batches Gen Z crossover in terms of like that voice, that culture. And then that is really what we are, you know, hoping to shape in the next, you know, year or so. I guess like getting into that creator conversation too, because I've noticed some um, regular faces in your um, social media posts. I think there's there's one comedian who does like a lot of like uh, impersonations maybe, or like he wears a lot of wigs. I, I remember he wears a lot of wigs. And I remember yes. he was also in um, one of the shows that you were doing on YouTube for a little while with the, uh, the group, um, the support group, the social media, I think, addict support group, if, if I'm remembering correctly. So that's, that's, um, fat Carrie Bradshaw, AKA Chris Burns. That's yes. his stage name. Um, and yeah, he's been with us for a few years now. He's really, really funny. Um, the, the social media support group that you're referencing was like a, a scripted satirical show. Um, that that was something we produced about a year ago. Yeah, yeah. but he's in a lot of our videos and our TikToks. And um, he also hosts our, is one of the co-hosts of our Bachelor podcast. It reminds me of almost like, I guess, BuzzFeed's um, video strategy where they were kind of like creating um, talent and, and trying to push it up into, into different areas of the business. Um, it feels kind of similar to that, but can you talk about how you're building out like a, uh, a talent pool within your um, organization and, and how that kind of works with your maybe social media or video content strategy. I feel bad that I'm answering. Keep, just keep, keep it going. <laughs> keep it going, Sammy. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I mean, something that we started with was that we would, you know, look for freelancers who were, who were really funny and really able to, to create content that was in brand, in tone with us. Um, but that they were sort of like a an embodiment of what Betches could be. And they just really understand the tone. So, you know, we've hired a number of those people full time. Um, and that's probably, those are probably the faces that you see, you know, repeatedly like Chris. Um, but in general, we are really in the process and always looking to expand and find new creators who are really aligned with what the Betches brand is, or maybe they represent some sort of, um, like one aspect of the Betches lifestyle. Um, and basically where what we, the, the people we look for are sort of untapped. Maybe they, we see like that they're really funny, really humorous, but they don't necessarily have a huge audience yet. Um, but we feel that, you know, hopefully we could help them expand their career and grow their following and see if they're a good fit for us. And, you know, we've had a lot of success with, with some people and, you know, some have been, some have not worked out as well, but 
you know, it's definitely, it's definitely a lot of trial and error finding new people. And I mean, I really find it really fun to scout talent for Betches and to find people who, you know, they could help us, we could help them. And, you know, you never know who you could, who you might find next. Yeah. Um, I would love to hear more about your, I guess, content strategy in general. So I know you have a, a very large social media um, presence, but you mentioned podcasts is, is an area that you've been growing pretty regularly, it seems. Um, can you talk about, you know, some of the platforms that um, maybe feel most at home for Betches and and your strategies there, how, how you've kind of grown into those areas? Yeah, I think podcasts has been like, really, I mean, clearly it's been very successful for us. It's been something that we are passionate about, just the three of us and as a company. Um, and I think we really, we've managed to find little niche communities around our podcast, which we built out and included in, in social media. So we've really made the whole experience of listening to a podcast, more of a community. You can see that in things like our diet starts tomorrow podcast, um, which has a huge Facebook group following, a huge social following, like really just creating a, a community that not only lives on podcasts, but lives everywhere else on the internet or even like through a live show or something like that. And just podcasts just being a really good platform for us because you can really sort of get into like the details or the nuances of any kind of topic um, and really be be both funny and vulnerable. It's a great um, medium for that. So I think mm -hmm. it's just been a great alignment with our brand and we're really excited about like everything that's going on with podcasts in general and where how Betches is going to play a role yeah. in that. And just to add also like in terms of the content strategy, as I mentioned before, like we're, we're trying to continue to grow with our audience as well as expand to younger um, demo. But um, that said, we also see it as expanding by vertical and by topic. So whether it's your life stage, like moms, as I said, or interest, like pop culture interest, we just um, launched uh, a new five-minute daily episode podcast show called Pop Alarm, which is all about, you know, the, the five minutes of pop culture news that you need every morning. So it's also, it's, we're trying to really cultivate communities around um, all of our content. And we see that that's really, it's been pretty successful so far. How many podcasts do you have at this point? And also how large is your, I guess, collective audience for podcast listeners? Um, yeah, we have, I think, 10, 10, 11 podcasts since we launched Pop Alarm. Um, but we have like 12 brands, as we call it, like as we have a bachelor, you know, verticals, brands. Mm -hmm. um, we have just, we're aiming for 30 million downloads this year across our network. So... I'm familiar with the Bachelor podcast and also the kind of franchise built out around that one because I've covered in the past um, your partnership with Skinny Pop around that and how it really is this kind of like cross-platform, um, very, um, I'd say pretty involved sponsorship with them. Um, I'm curious, like, uh, one, I guess it'd be good to maybe explain what that all looked like, um, that partnership in particular, but I'm curious, is it a strategy of yours or a goal of yours to make most of your brand deals this kind of like integrated um, where it's in the podcast, it's in this kind of like built out gamified kind of like interactive and, and things of that nature. Like how, how involved do you tend to get with your brand deals? We find that the, the more 360, the larger the campaign, the more that moves the needle for both, you know, for both us and, and whatever partner or client we're working with. So Skinny Pop is a great example of that, where the um, the brand alignment between them and the Bachelor audience was just 
already th- there. It was a natural fit. Um, and we worked together with them on a really um, a large 360 integrated campaign, but not only podcast, social media. Um, we also did a uh, bachelor bracket with them, which was like a new, really interesting, innovative idea to really just tie the whole campaign together and make it feel like big and interesting and also just tie the two brands together. We had our hosts of the podcast singing skinny pop jingles that just kind of like were funny and like kind of went like viral on their own. So that was a really great synergy between us and that brand. And that's definitely what we look to do with, with a lot of our partners. And we feel like the bigger that we can go, the more impact it, it really makes for, for the brand. I'm curious, is that one of the largest brand deals that you've done to date? Or do you have others of that kind of magnitude in the past or upcoming? Definitely up there with um, with with some of our larger campaigns. Skinny Pop is definitely like a, um, like I've said, like a great partner for us. And we continue to, to work with them. And again, like the brand alignment with our audience is really just um, really important for us and really important for them. And it just, it works very well we integrated them this year with our Bravo vertical. So instead of Bachelor last year, they're now integrated into our, like um, all of our Bravo content. We have a Bravo podcast, social video, all of that. And so, yeah, that's definitely up there, but we have a few upcoming um, partnerships that we can't share yet, but next this, the second half of this year and ne- the <laughs> first half of next year, are going to be really exciting. You'll be hearing a lot from us. <laughs> I'm I'm curious for the advertising side of things. Is it primarily these like direct sold campaigns and partnerships that are driving that business, or do you have a a, a significant programmatic kind of um, business under you? I'm I'm curious about how you're approaching um, advertising, especially these days. So yeah, we are focusing on direct deals, whether we're working with agencies or direct client. That is something like we we really, we, we believe is sort of the future, but we also believe in, um, making, creating like these bigger ideas that, um, involve commerce as well. Like it's not just straight media deals, um, that, that include experiential experiences, bringing multiple partners on board for one big event. Um, and we're trying to, we're toying with ideas, launching different products, collabing on products. Like that's, I think where we're headed and, um, just trying to come up with really creative ways of not only just advertising, you know, we're not just trying to be a platform. Like we, we believe in ourselves as like a creative agency and the platform with the audience. And that's sort of like our little secret sauce to how we're thinking about the future. In general, the vibe I get from Betches because there's there's a lot of media companies or um, brands that I either follow or cover that I'm like, they're a brand with an audience. I really feel like because at least my interaction with Betches is very much like a social media post and it's usually very funny. I find it's more of like you're part of the audience in a way. Like it's just the audience I'm kind of like interacting with. It feels very community driven. I think that's what it is. And I'm curious about like, what is it about your audience that I think like makes it feel like that? Like are your advertisers like really kind of like coming to you for that experience as well? Because it just, it, it's, it seems very unique to me. Yeah. I think that that is, I think it goes back to sort of the DNA of the company and the three of us being friends for so long. I think that that is something that just like, you can't really be replicated because 
it is so much a part of the voice and the tone and the way we speak to each other and have always been honest and vulnerable and humorous with each other. Um, that is sort of like where the company started. And that's what we've always prioritized in terms of maintaining and staying loyal to. And so I think that that was just sort of naturally the atmosphere we were sort of able to create because of who, who we were and where we were coming from. And I think that that sort of naturally invited the audience to interact with each other that way. Um, and then from there, by we intentionally created these communities our sub-brand verticals, basically, where we could actually cultivate that and encourage that and provide specific spaces for people to get, you know, even closer to the people who share their interests or share their struggles or want to laugh about the same topic. So, yeah, I mean, it is definitely very intentional, but also um, something that I think is sort of inherent that, like, as much as another brand could try to create that, um, you can't really fake, can't really fake a friendship kind of thing. I'm I'm curious now also because we talked a little bit about your creator strategy and like kind of um, developing talent in that way, but I'm wondering like in general, how large is your team um, that is I guess full time betches? Yeah, we have uh, 30 employees full time at this moment. <laughs> awesome. I'm and I'm, I guess like over the past um, year or two, and maybe this is uh, heading back to like the audience conversation, but I know like social media audiences just like blew up um, this past year. Everyone's like trapped inside, um, you know, looking to internet to kind of like fill the void. Um, have you noticed in the past year plus now um, an increase in audience, an increase in um, uh, like, I guess, video consumption, anything like that? Like what what's your kind of growth been like? Yeah, we, we definitely experienced growth over the past year, um, especially, I mean, really all across the board, both on Instagram, social, TikTok. So yeah, I mean, I think that this was definitely a year where people's screen time was up. Um, and, you know, there were certain things that we even did in the past year where we were really purposely trying to provide a resource um, for the conditions of this past year. So for example, around the election, we have our news and politics vertical called the Betches Sup. And, you know, we were really encouraging people to sort of lean on that to get their entertainment, their information um, in a way that might be a little bit less intense than, you know, your standard cable news or reading the New York Times.com. So, you know, that was one area where we really saw like a, a really big increase in our audience just because of how, um, you know, how how big um, the news was last year. And, you know, now this year we're seeing, you know, you're sort of seeing that shift a little bit, you know, as people start going back to weddings, we're seeing more, more followers for our bridal vertical. As people are getting back to traveling, we're seeing more, our travel vertical is really starting to grow again. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely is, you know, we see our audience growth that tends to kind of like make sense with, you know, what's going on in the zeitgeist, especially. Mm -hmm. I think, Aileen, you mentioned uh, earlier the experiential um, and wanting to get brand partners involved in some, like, event things. Have you done any virtual events? Are you plotting already for the return of events? I'm curious what your outlook is in that area. Um, yes, we've had plenty of virtual events in the past, um, especially with our brand partners. Um 
Uh, but in this year, we're we're planning to do. I don't know. Should I should I say it? I don't know if we're gonna do it yet. But we're planning to do. We were planning to do a virtual like big event at the end of this year. But then we're like, screw virtual. Let's do this in person. Do it the right way. Bring people together safely, of course, um, because I really think people are starting to get really burnt out by the just constantly staring at like seven screens that they have in front of them and just in one spot, it doesn't feel. And then you you can, you can sense that even just, I'm sure if you go out with one friend, you're like, wow, I really miss this. I think that people are feeling that across the board. So we're trying, we're, we're, we're definitely itching to go back to in person. Um, you can really connect with people that way. There's really no, no way to replicate that. Um, so Again, if we're if, if all goes to plan, we are going to announce it soon that we're going to be planning something at the end of this year in person. Again, very safe. That is our highest priority as well as highly entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Had you had you done um, in-person events prior to the pandemic? For one of our podcasts, we actually did a 21 city tour um, in 2019 that was part as part of a larger partnership with Moxie Hotels. Um, so we've done that. We've done other, um, live events for podcasts. We've done bachelor finale parties. Um, we've done a number of in-person events, which is always really great. I think those do really well. People love sort of being able to interact with the Betches brand, like in person. So we're definitely excited to be able to get back to that. Obviously 2020, um, was not the year for that, but we're hoping again to like pick that up in the future. And uh, we did talk about, um, e-commerce as, as part of your strategy as well. Um, I know, Betches has uh, quite the merch shop. Um, but can you talk about your strategy in e-commerce? Is it primarily like, I guess, owned products that you're selling or have you built out like a affiliate business at this point? I'm curious what your strategy is for e-commerce and, and how it fits into your audience. Yeah, um, we've had our e-com shop for uh, several years now and it's been growing year over year. It's all owned items. We haven't We've dabbled in um, some affiliate, but we we tend to fall back on our what like we believe really works for us. Um, it's just like really funny on like just people would will pay a lot for just a shirt that says something so funny to make them feel very funny. Um, that's and then they can Instagram it whether they take it to a festival back in the day or in the future or um, they gift it to a, their sister, their mom, or the, a, a new kid in their family. Um, but that's, that's what we've been doing now. However, um, we are looking to uh, invest in our e-com operation, um, whether that's through affiliate, we're, we're figuring that out. But, um, again, the most important thing for us is to create merch or showcase merch that makes sense for our audience. That feels like very on brand, um, something that, aligns with the lifestyle and culture of Betches, um, something that makes people talk and makes people share and something that they can take a pick in, in <laughs> and makes other people say, hey, where'd you get that? So that's that's where we're going. I guess how significant is that like e-commerce operation for your overall business at this point? Because I feel like it's interesting, like some brands who have built out like big licensing deals over the course of like, you know, um, several years, I'm thinking like better homes and gardens and things like that, like those kind of like owned products in that way have become big businesses. But for other 
publishers who are doing like the merch shop operation, I feel like they don't really put a lot of effort into it. But I'm, it sounds like this has been a, a significant strategy for you guys. How has that been um, as a business line? But then also like, I guess, what's your strategy for making it a, a successful piece of the puzzle? Um, yeah, I can continue on this one. Um, I think uh, as we grow and as, you know, our content strategy grows, um, where we are launching different types of uh, merch around these communities for these communities around these verticals, but also um, we're thinking about different types of capsule collections with different creators. We're thinking of ways merch and commerce can um be blended with our advertising so it's not just like so straightforward here's a shirt buy it we're really thinking of ways to be super creative in um e-commerce uh and we're seeing some success in like these various exploratory (laughs) ways in which e-com can be seen in the market i'm also curious because i feel like again i've mentioned uh, probably a ton of times now like tiktok i've seen you guys pop up on my tiktok like pretty frequently. Um, I'm curious about um, your strategy for those kind of emerging platforms and how have you approached TikTok? I feel like every person I ask is like, you can't just repurpose content. You have to make original TikTok friendly content. What's your kind of strategy there? And do you find that like your audience is is newer for you on that platform? Or is it like people seeking you out from other platforms and following you there? Um, I think so when it comes to to TikTok and other emerging platforms, we're really very, um, we really try to figure out like, is this something that our audience, that that our type of audience is going to enjoy? So I think like an interesting example would be like TikTok, which has clearly really taken off, I would say in part due to the pandemic um, versus like Clubhouse, which was really, um, people were really into it for a little bit, but um, it didn't, you know, it, I don't know if it's going to necessarily go where TikTok has gone. Um, but in terms of TikTok and any new emerging platform, I think it's really the strategy involves sort of like blending what we do already, um, which is like humorous videos about the type of betchy topics that we cover, blending that with how the platform is sort of naturally used on its own. So TikTok is used very differently than Instagram. So adapting... So there's some content we've been able to adapt and has done really well on TikTok that we originally created for Instagram. Those tend to be like sketch videos, um, which I think work because sketch videos are a very popular type of video on on, on TikTok. But um, I know that there's a lot that we do on Instagram that would not necessarily translate to TikTok and that, you know, to fill in the rest of the content, we need to be, you know, we really try to be aligned with how the platform is used. And then I'm curious also, like, have you had any advertiser interest in your TikTok, like, page yet? Have you done any brand deals for that platform or in conversation with any brands on that? We have. And we've seen that it's starting to, um, it's starting to pick up, like, where, um, where people are, whereas from a year ago, there are definitely more brands interested in trying to figure out almost in the way they did with Instagram, um, I don't know, five years ago, like trying to figure out the platform and how to best advertise. So I don't think there's like necessarily a, you know, people have it down pat, but I think brands are trying to figure it out. Um, and platforms are trying to figure out the best way to monetize them. So we definitely have seen that starting to happen, um, on that platform and interest from brands. And uh, Sammy, you mentioned Clubhouse. Did you guys ever experiment with Clubhouse? Is that something that 
I don't know, never really picked up for you? So I think we, individuals from Betches, like I experimented with it. Other individuals from our company have experimented with it sort of individually, but I don't know, like we've never experimented as a company. Um, I don't know that it, we, even though we are so good with audio um, in terms of podcasting, I don't know that it necessarily translated to Clubhouse. Um, but to be honest, like if we saw that our audience was really thriving there and really loved the platform, we would have probably gone for it. The, I think really the truth is that our audience did not love the platform itself. I I don't know. This might have been my kind of like short-sighted interpretation of it. It felt very much like LinkedIn on like an audio platform. It just got very career-oriented and like... <sighs> not like fun. I don't know. Like I felt like I was like, I was like (laughs) going to like a a conference or something after working hours. Yeah. It was was just a very weird vibe. And Mm -hmm. like, I guess it's great for like networking and things and people who are just very like to think about work a lot. I'm not one of those people. I like my off time to be my off time. And yeah, so I could see why it wouldn't be the right kind of like humor focused, like entertainment audience, maybe that you would yeah, I think yeah, I mean you could talk about entertainment on on Clubhouse and like I have, but it it's it feels like you're on a conference call and like that was like I can tell you like the difference that I felt when I first used Instagram and like like 10 years ago and when I first went on what was pre- previous to prior to TikTok musically like when I first went on those platforms, I was like, these are going to catch. I can totally see how intuitive they are. People like them and they're fun to be on. When I went on Clubhouse, I was like, okay, so I'm on a conference call. Everyone hates conference calls. Like, why are we doing this? So I think there's sort of like, our audience wants to have a good time. They look to us to laugh. They look to us to not be like so serious. So I think like the fun of a platform inherently is really important to our audience. All right. What about Twitter spaces where it's like their kind of clubhouse attempt? Is that any different? Does that feel the same to you? That is, I don't, it's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Got> it. yeah. <laughs> okay. I like, I like listened to one interview with, I think it was Joe Jonas or maybe it was Nick Jonas at one point. And I think that was the only time I've ever joined one of the Twitter spaces, but I was just curious if that was anything that you were, uh, I don't know, thinking about it all. For us, we're just really, like, even with Clubhouse, like like Sammy said, we weren't, it's not that we were, like, against Clubhouse. We were really, we were on it. We were watching it. We wanted to really watch, like, audience behaviors around it, not just what, and also what the platform was doing to curate that content. Like, with Clubhouse, and I guess with Twitter Spaces, honestly, it felt like a blip, but Clubhouse, I think, also was, the challenge was, it, they started off pitching it to us like it was exclusive and then all of a sudden you go on and then you have no idea how to like sift through content that was right for you and I think that for us as users of the platform we did, we weren't like how are how are if we can't figure it out how is any of our audience going to figure it out for betches and how do we even navigate this so we 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 waited and we we watched to see if it would get better. But I think also it was very um, much for the lifestyle during the pandemic. So now as people are out and about, I don't think that they want to continue. Well, maybe we'll see what they do, but. Yeah, they, again, they might change. They the, might, change, they might change, it. change it. Yeah. But again, that, it, for us, it's not like, oh, we're against any platform at all. We need to watch it carefully to see how our audience um, interacts with it, if they are into it. Is it a fun time? Like Sammy just said, um, 
but yeah. Is that kind of your approach to any new emerging platform? Like when did you, I guess, first really, I guess, make an effort on TikTok? Early in the pandemic, um, but we hit, we, oh, that's actually not true. We had a TikTok, we had, we got on TikTok a year, about a year before the pandemic. Um, we were sort of just like, again, like Aileen said, watching the platform, seeing how our audience is using it. Um, our millennial audience wasn't as much on it until the pan- the pandemic. Um, and then ever since we've been, you know, going for it on TikTok. So I, we talked a, a good deal about um, podcasts and, and social media. What about your like um, O&O website? Like, do you put, I guess, like, how much of your audience is coming to non-social or non-podcast um, destinations? Do you, I guess, what's what's the strategy there? Do you see like most of your engagement happening kind of like on on these different channels? We have a pretty um, uh, quickly growing uh, newsletter um, platform where we're trying we're investing a little bit more in our newsletter content. We're not mm-hmm. thinking of it as a way in which someone can just well, how, as a marketing platform. It's a content platform for us, um, and our website again. We're it's it's a it's a place where we can show just go go back to our roots, have some satirical content on there, and you know reflect our brand through long form written content. Um, but yeah, our audience really, I they 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 still love that. We we do bachelor recaps. We do a lot of. We just launched a horoscope newsletter, which is growing really rapidly. Everyone go sign up for that. And um, yeah, we're we're exploring different types of platforms outside of social because you can't. As even though you said you have to diversify your um, revenue, you have to diversify your platforms. You can't just rely on just one. Awesome. Yeah. So I guess like. When you're looking ahead for the next um, year or so, um, obviously you're trying to get back into like live events. I'm sure that there is this like excitement around being back in a, a shared office space, maybe production, uh, podcast studios, things like that. But like, what are some of the other things that you're super excited about for the next year that, that you can share? I, to be honest, like the things we are most excited about are the ones we can't share because. But but I will say that that we look at that as a good thing because we really feel like we have um, we have some projects in the works that fortunately they are too big for us to share is what I guess I can say. Um, but we are really excited um, for next year. We are co- I can perhaps allude to the fact that it is um, something new. It in it is a physical something you can hold. Awesome. All right. Well, I will look out for these um, physical things. Uh, iterations <laughs> yeah. of Betches. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thank you all so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank, Thank you so much. Thanks so for, much. Having us. for having Thank us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Digiday podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. And please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. We'll be back next week with another episode.